0: Welcome, everyone, to City Church this morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Rebecca Pruitt. I am part of the City Church teaching team. We have more than just our pastors on our teaching team here at City Church. And I am also in the process of finishing up my elder quest. I'm in the middle of becoming an elder, and we had to call it something cool, so we called it Elder Quest. Um, So that's a little bit about me. Um, Welcome to City Church for all of you. We are going through our sermon series (laughs) on. <laughs> it ran out of battery. Thank you. So, we are going through gospel stories, and this morning we are going to be talking about calling. So, just kind of a real quick overview of this sermon series, we're going through and looking at the way that the gospel and the good news of Christ impacts the daily lives of his people. So, this whole year, we're going to be looking at different kinds of stories, and in this first part and first sermon series, we're specifically looking at how the good news of God has impacted the lives of the people who are going to be preaching and speaking to you. So, we want to bear witness to what Christ has done in his people through this series. So before we jump in, let's go ahead and pray. God, I thank you so much for the fact that we are in this building and warm in the middle of this weather. Thank you for heat. And I also thank you for the chance that we have to get together today. And I pray that the words I speak would point other people to you and that they wouldn't be my words, but they would be your words. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, so real quick, before we get into... Talking about calling, since we're going through gospel stories, I want to do a quick overview of what the gospel is. Sounds like a good way to remind ourselves what this sermon series is all about, right? So, the gospel is that God made the world and He made it good, and God is perfectly good, and He made us as humans to be in an intimate relationship with Him. But we, humans sinned, so we separated ourselves from God. The first humans, Adam and Eve, they acted in a way that didn't perfectly reflect God's goodness, and because of that, it fractured that relationship that we as humanity had with God. We also continue to sin, and that sin continues to separate us from this perfectly good God and makes it impossible for us to be in relationship with him. But God, because he loved us, looked for a way to reach across that divide and create a way for us to be able to be in front of him as imperfect people and still have that relationship with him. In the Old Testament, what this looked like was the sacrifice system. So you had the temple where people would go and present animal sacrifices in order to be considered clean enough to be able to be in that relationship with God and commune with him. Because sin requires a blood payment. It requires a death. And then as we move into the New Testament, we see that God himself came down to earth— in the form of Jesus, who was fully man and fully God, and was able to live out and and be a human that was able to reflect God's perfect goodness perfectly. And then he became the ultimate sacrifice by having a death that covered the sins for all of humanity. And not only did he pay this death price, but he then also broke the chains of death over us when he rose again three days later. This paves our way to be in relationship with God. We can't do it on our own, But God continually seeks a relationship with us as his people and to redeem both us and to redeem his broken creation. And as a part of that redemptive process, God works through us to make his creation look more like he originally intended it to and works to reveal himself both to and through that creation. Which brings us to the concept of calling. So in this working of the redemptive process, I want to talk about calling this morning. And we've got uh, uh, one main point is that calling is revealing your kingdom function. So all of us as people of Christ and as part of the body of Christ have a different role to play within that body of Christ. And I think that calling is how God reveals part of what you are going to play in the body of Christ. So I've got four main points this morning. First is that God uses his people to accomplish his purposes. Next is that everyone's function within the kingdom is a little different. This would be so much better if I had a clicker. (laughs) But thank you for being my clicker. The other thing is you might not fully understand your function within the kingdom at first. And Satan does not want you to fulfill your function within the kingdom. So before we talk about my story, I want to talk a little bit about some different people in the Bible where we can see this concept of calling within Scripture before we jump into my story. And I also want to talk a little bit more about calling first. So kind of where I came up with this concept of calling being revealing your function within the kingdom comes mostly from 1 Corinthians 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So there's different functions that all then reflect back on the same God. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. It's not for our good. It's for the the good of those around us and for the good of God. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many, If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body— That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work mi- miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. And then Paul goes in to talk about his treatise on love in in chapter thirteen. So we can see here. You can go ahead and go to the next. That there's different gifts that the Spirit gives to believers, and each of these are given with the point of it fulfilling a different function within the body. So the Spirit gifts the believer, and then that believer is able to work within the body of Christ to help God accomplish his purposes here on earth. So all believers function together with those different gifts, and just because we're all gifted differently doesn't mean any one of us is less important to the function of the body of Christ, or any one of us is less important to the kingdom. Everyone is gifted a little bit differently. I am not gifted in the teaching of children, and Holly is. You wouldn't want me being and leading children's church and leading the children's ministry because I do not have the right kind of patience for that. But God has gifted me to be able to speak in front of the entire body of Christ like I do on Sunday mornings. My husband is great at working with his hands and great at constructing things. Me, not so much. When we were dating, he came over and yelled at me because I was using my old notes from school in place of insulation in my walls. And so I was fired from doing anything around the house when we got married. Each of us has a different role to fill based on our different giftings and based on how the Spirit has equipped us to be able to fill, fill that role within the body of Christ. So we each have a unique function within the community, and he has a history of calling people out with what that function is. So just as a quick review of the main points, God uses his people to accomplish his purposes. Everyone's function within the kingdom is a little different. You might not fully understand your function within the kingdom when God first reveals it to you, and Satan doesn't want you to fulfill your function within the kingdom. So we're going to go ahead and start talking about some stories from people in the Bible. I love the Old Testament. So the first one that I want to talk about is Abraham, and he's kind of the father, he's considered one of the fathers of our faith. He's a pretty big figure, especially in Jewish tradition, from the Old Testament, because from Abraham came all of the entire tribe of Israel and Judah. So we're first going to look at what his call was in Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram... So at, at this time, his name was Abram. God also has a history of calling someone out for his, what he has for them and then changing their name afterwards. We see this with Abraham, and then we'll also talk about Paul, who was called Saul before he was called out by God. Now the Lord said to Abram, "'Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house "'to the land that I will show you, "'and I will make of you a great nation,' and I will bless you, and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So there's three things here. Go to the land that I am showing you, I will make a nation out of you, and then there's a blessing that's spoken over him. So then Abraham does. He goes off with both his brother Lot and his wife Sarah, and went to Egypt, and you know you would think, okay, you're You have been told that there's going to be a great nation that comes out of you. you got to stay with your wife, right? Well, he was a little bit afraid of how the Egyptians would view him because Sarah was very beautiful. So he told her to pretend that she was his sister so he wouldn't get killed because of her beauty. And she ends up going and becoming one of Pharaoh's wives. And God steps in, and God intervenes, and Pharaoh sends them on their way. And then after this, God reiterates his call and makes a covenant with Abraham, even though Abraham's kind of dubious about this whole nation thing because he has an utter lack of offspring. They were also infertile for a while. And so God reiterates his calling and his purpose for Abraham in Genesis 15. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So, you would think, okay, again, God has promised to make a nation out of you. He's promised to make your descendants as numerous as the stars. Really important for you to stay with your wife. Except, it still wasn't happening. They were still struggling with infertility. And so, Abraham and Sarah figured, well, we can make this happen for God. We can make this happen in our own way. Because this isn't happening the way that we think it's supposed to happen. So, Sarah gave Abraham, her maidservant, to have a child with her, they did. They were able to have a child um, with that, that maidservant. And then they even worsened that sin and trying to, to manufacture God's plan in their own way by taking both the maidservant and the child and casting them out and kicking them out in the middle of the desert. This does not reflect the way that God wants his people to act, right? And then in Genesis 17, God steps back in and he reiterates his covenant with Abraham and he reiterates that he's going to make a great nation out of him. And in this, he establishes circumcision as part of that covenant, gives Abram a new name. This is when he becomes Abraham, and then also foretells the birth of their son, Isaac. And when she hears this, Sarah laughs in the face of God's messenger, which is probably not the best thing to do again. Eventually, though, Isaac is born, and you think, okay, great. At this point, like, God's plan is being revealed. It's finally starting to happen. They have a son, And then God asks Abraham to go to the top of a mountain and sacrifice his son. Now, by this point, Abraham's learned something from these these reiterations over and over and over again of God's faithfulness and God's provision. And so he goes to the top of the mountain, and he's fully prepared to sacrifice Isaac because he figures if God can do what he's already done, he can also raise his son from the dead. And God intervenes here and provides the ram in the bushes to use as a sacrifice instead. And from Abraham, we get Isaac. From Isaac, we get Esau and Jacob. And from Jacob, we get 12 sons whose descendants become the 12 different tribes of Israel. So God called Abraham out for land, nation, and blessing. And even though there was a really long path to get there and lots of winding, they got there in the end, and we got the nation of Israel. So remember, God uses his people to accomplish his purposes. Everyone's function within the kingdom is a little bit different. You might not fully understand your function within the kingdom at first. Abraham didn't really understand how all this was supposed to come about at first, and we saw that in the way that he acted. And Satan doesn't want you to fulfill your function within the kingdom. I think we can see Satan's hand in trying to dissuade Abraham away from what God's plan was and try to make it happen their own way, and there's, there were ill effects from that, right? So that's an Old Testament example with Abraham of what God's calling might look like. We're also going to go to the New Testament now and look at Paul. So Paul's calling was pretty dramatic. If we look at Acts 9, Saul, so at this point he was called Saul... He was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. So he was pretty high up in Jewish uh, religious hierarchy, and he really did not like these new followers of Christ who were coming and were preaching some things that the message of Jesus originally seemed pretty heretical to those who were very fully steeped in Jewish faith. And so Saul was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, and this was encouraged by the religious hierarchy. And he went to the high priest And asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, these are the early followers of Christ, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And the Lord said to him, "'Rise and go to the street called Straight, "'and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. "'For behold, he is praying. "'And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in "'and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. "'But Ananias answered, "'Lord, I have heard from many about this man, "'how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. "'And here he has authority from the chief priest "'to bind all who call on your name. "'But the Lord said to him, "'Go.' for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. And for some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. So for most of us, our calling isn't going to be nearly as dramatic as that of Paul. So we see Jesus coming to him on the road, and we see through Ananias what his calling was, to bring the good news of Christ to the Gentiles and to suffer for Christ's name. The church leaders didn't always see eye to eye with Paul. They weren't so much a fan always of um, how he went about bringing the word of of Christ out to other people and the fact that he was willing to rub elbows so much with people who were non-Jewish. And throughout the course of his ministry, he, he did suffer much. He was stoned. He was arrested. He was imprisoned. There was a plot to assassinate him. He was shipwrecked. He describes a thorn in the flesh that he begged God to remove from him. But in the process of all of this, he brought the good news of Jesus to a lot of people. And not only did he bring the good news of Jesus to a lot of people within his own day, but his letters are still part of our Bible. His letters to those early believers are in our Bible and are still bringing the good news to non-Jewish people today and helping them to learn the good news of Christ and to become believers. So if we look back at our main points do you really think Paul had any idea when he first started following Christ and first started spreading that message to non-Jewish people that his, his words and his ministry would still endure and be bringing people to Jesus today? Satan did not want him to be able to accomplish his function within the kingdom. And so we saw a lot of ways that, that Paul was really attacked and tried to be dissuaded from his mission. But through it all, Paul was preaching the gospel of Christ. He was preaching the good news of Jesus, even to the people who were imprisoning him and who were standing guard over him. And I think that's a pretty amazing way of seeing how God uses each of his people. Paul really didn't understand his function, fully understand the impact of his function within the kingdom when he was first called. And Satan really didn't want him to fulfill his function within the kingdom. So now that we've looked at how calling worked for a couple of biblical characters, I want to tell a little bit of my story. I'm not saying that my ministry is anywhere near on the scale of Abraham's or Paul's. I just want to get that clear from the start. (laughs) right? (laughs) Nowhere near on that scale that I know of. (laughs) But for me, really, the first time that I encountered the prompting of the Spirit, did anybody do Awana in here, the program where you memorize a bunch of Bible verses? Did anybody else go to Awana camp? I was like a whole nother level of Jesus nerd because I went to Bible camp (laughs) and I went to Awana camp. (laughs) But for me, the first time that I really strongly encountered the prompting of the spirit was at one of those camps. One night, they had talked about being a leader for Christ, and at the end of the the message, there was an altar call, only it wasn't the come-to-Jesus kind of altar call that we typically saw in Baptist church camps. It was, uh, who's going to come forward and be willing to be a leader for Christ? And I really, very, very strongly felt the Spirit moving and telling me to get my butt out of that seat and walk forward that night. So I did. And I really didn't understand what that, I mean, I was like 12 at the time, so who really understands what that means at the age of 12, you know? But God has still been continuing to reveal what that looks like. The first time that I ever spoke in front of people was at another church camp, kind of like the one that Chris described with a bunch of over-emotional teenagers in a large room with a lot of music and where they're trying to really get an emotional response out of you. So 3,000 middle and high school students in the city of Green Bay, Wisconsin, for an entire weekend, God bless the youth leaders who had to deal with us for that weekend, and every session, every main session that they had, where all 3,000 of us were together, they had one youth group who would come up, someone would give a testimony, someone would read from the Bible, and then someone would pray. Our youth group was chosen, and I was the only one stupid enough to volunteer for this, I had never spoken in front of people before, ever. It was just me and my youth pastor. And I figured I would, I would be pretty, I, I would be ready to run off the stage and straight to the bathroom, you know, when I got up there. But what I found was that it wasn't quite as scary as I thought it would be, and in fact, it was kind of fun, and I enjoyed talking in front of other people, which is also a whole other level of nerd, and I realized that. It also helped that because of the spotlights that were on, you really couldn't see beyond the first two rows, so that really helped. But I figured, okay, so I feel like I'm supposed to be this leader for Christ, not really sure what that's supposed to look like. I enjoy talking in front of other people, and I really, really like learning. I really like learning. So maybe I should, you know, use all of these things together for the betterment of the body of Christ, and I figured I would would start talking in front of people about the Bible, And I mean, I was still a teenager at this time, so the ways that I did this, we had this program called Upwards, which is like a basketball program on Saturdays for kids, and you have a whole bunch of of little kids coming in and playing basketball, and then at halftime, they have someone come up and give a devotional. Okay, cool. I started giving Upwards halftime devotionals. It's probably the youngest person who was speaking in that room in front of all those people. And then we also, every year, we had Youth Sunday, where the youth group took over an entire service. And so I, I spoke one youth Sunday, and up until here, I had kind of gotten away with speaking in front of people about the Bible because of my youth, but when we started doing the youth Sunday, this verse started to really impact my what I, how I felt about my calling. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. So that kind of threw a damper on things. And I started to get to the age where I couldn't really get away with this because of my youth. And the first sign that something was wrong was I wasn't preaching a sermon on Youth Sunday. I was giving a devotional. And our youth pastor still got up there and spoke. And after I got done and after, you know, the service was all o- all over, Someone came out to me and said, you know, you did a really good job, you're a good speaker, but I don't believe in women preachers. This wasn't the last time that I heard that. But I really started to wrestle with this, because if God gifts his people with gifts that they are supposed to use for the betterment of his kingdom and of the body of Christ, why would he give me a gift that I couldn't use because I didn't have the right genitals? That just didn't make sense to me at all. If you're looking for a really good explanation of how that verse is often taken out of context, the elders before I was an elder actually wrote a white paper on the role of women in ministry. And it's on our church website, and it's a really good just laying out of how women can fit into leadership. I wish I had had something like this at this stage in my life. Um, Now, the, the pushback that I often got when I went to mentors and church leaders and said, you know, I really feel like I am supposed to be standing in front of the body of Christ and teaching about Jesus and teaching about the Bible, was, well, you can do children and women's ministry. And I love children and women's ministry. That is not what I am called to. And I, I know that. Nothing against the people who that is their calling, but I just know that that is not my calling. That is not where I am supposed to be. So then I went to what we will call conservative Christian college and joined a house church conglomerate. I'm going to use these phrases because these are good groups of people who are really seeking to honor Christ, and this is going on the internet, so I don't want to shame them. (laughs) Both are great organizations, but everybody within a Christ-centered organization is human. And God's people don't always follow God's leading, and God's people are not God. So not everybody who calls himself a Christian properly reflects either Christ or the word of God. So I went to this conservative Christian college. I joined a house church within this house church conglomerate. I taught a couple of sessions at our house church because, again, I I felt that this was my calling. I felt that this was my gifting, so I should be using it within the kingdom of God. The elders of the house church conglomerate caught wind of the fact that a woman was teaching within their house churches, and they didn't so much like this. So a unilateral decision was made that no woman should be allowed to teach within house churches unless they were teaching exclusively to women or children. The conservative Christian college that I went to also underwent some leadership changes, and the only female Bible professor at that college left after she was told that she could only accept female students in her classes. And she felt that this was not consistent with what God had called her to do, and so she left the college. We had some female chapel speakers, but they were under strict instructions that they were not to open the Bible, they were allowed to give testimonies, they were not allowed to preach the word of God. My youth no longer shielded me, right? And in the face of all of this, I mean, I went to this conservative Christian college and was part of this house church conglomerate for eight years, and that's a long time. And so in the process of continuously hearing this message over and over and over and over and over again, I started to kind of lose my fire. And I started to figure, well, guess it's not for me. Guess it's not really what God has for me, right? And I stopped struggling so much with why would God give me with something I'm not allowed to use for the church. And I figured, okay, I'll just take these teaching talents and I'll use them for my profession instead. I'll be a faculty member That hasn't worked out either, (laughs) but I love the job that I'm in even more. So then I met Ken, and on our first date, as I was talking about this, he told me that what what my conservative Christian college and what my house church conglomerate were telling me were absolute balderdash. He used a little bit different language, but I'm not going to repeat it here, (laughs) but I do. It impressed me. It got you a second date, among other things. (laughs) (laughs) And then I came to City Church. And kind of in that first year that we were a part of City Church was when the Elder Board was really looking at their stance on women in ministry and women in leadership and what that actually looked like. And they changed their stance from thou shalt not to women are welcome. And that's part of that white paper that's on, on the website that I was telling you about. And then there was a gap in the preaching schedule. And Chris said, "Hey, Rebecca, why don't you preach?" And he doesn't know this, but what first went through my head was, you know, I don't have the right genitals, right? I didn't say that though. Instead, I said, "Are you sure?" <laughs> and he said, "Yes." And so that was part of how I became part of the teaching team here at City. It is so incredibly freeing to be a part of a part of the body of Christ that recognizes That you can use your gifts for the betterment of the body of Christ and for His kingdom, and that my gender doesn't disqualify me from that. And then they asked me to be an elder. And my first thought when Jake and Chris—well, my first thought when Jake and Chris asked to meet with me was, "Crap, they're going to fire me from teaching." I knew this was too good to be true. They're going to tell me that women can't preach in city anymore. But instead, they asked me to be an elder. So after I got over the shock of that, my second thought was, "I'm not." old enough for this. <laughs> right? <laughs> but then I talked with Ken about it, and Ken said, no, I really think you should consider this. Um, and it's, it's still not where I picture myself being before I was 30 as an elder at a church, as a woman, but it's definitely what God has placed in my path and how he is shaping and forming my ministry. Because remember what we said about calling? God uses his people to accomplish his purposes. Everyone's function within the kingdom is a little bit different, and he might not fully understand your function within the kingdom at first. If you go back to 12-year-old Rebecca, who felt that prompting of the Spirit to walk forward and say, I'm going to be a leader for, for God and for his kingdom, never would have been a million years, well, never would have in however many years, guessed that I would be standing before you today saying, I'm about to be an elder at City Church. But that's okay, Right? Because just because God has called you to do something doesn't mean you know what that's going to look like. Abraham didn't know what it was going to look like to be a part of being a great nation, having descendants that numbered more than the stars. When Paul first started following his calling, he didn't know that he was, his letters were going to be part of the Bible that we hold in our hands today and read every Sunday. Right? I, I still don't know fully what my function within the kingdom is going to look like. Satan's going to try real hard to keep me from fulfilling it because that's how he works. He doesn't want the kingdom of God to be able to accomplish God's purposes. That's my story. What's yours? What has God called you to? And how, how does this fit within those points today? You probably don't fully understand what it's going to look like, and that's okay. Keep pursuing God. Keep pursuing following what he has called you to, and keep pursuing using what he has gifted you with for his kingdom and for the body of Christ. And that's what I have today. So let's go ahead and pray. God, I thank you so much that you made a way to have a relationship with us. And I thank you that you use broken people for your good and to fulfill your kingdom and to make this earth more like how you intended it to, to look. And I pray for the people in here who are where I was a few years ago and have just lost the fire for what you have called them to do. God, I pray that you would reignite that flame within them and that you would provide them with opportunities for them to be able to use their giftings for you. And I pray this in your name. Amen.